When God's best for us is not enough, then we end up with Satan's worst. The brokenness, I believe, in his heart is a yearning back to what he had when he had God's best. Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church. Today, I want to preach for just the next few minutes on fault lines and fidelity. So here's my definition of a spiritual fault line. A spiritual fault line is a place where brokenness has occurred in the past and is more likely to occur again. That's why there's so many earthquakes you know, in L.A. or in San Andreas particularly, because there's a fault line there. And so it just keeps on happening. And that, that's the same way with lots of places where there's volcanic eruptions and, and lots of death and, and, and destruction. It's a, it's a physical fault line, but we can have those in our own lives. You know, woundedness from relationships, where maybe somebody um, you know, has said a certain thing to you and now you, you have a bend in that area. If anybody mentions that, or, or you can even perceive insults that are not even there in that area in your life, right? Uh, if you're told something about yourself or, or something has happened to you, you're very sensitive around there because there's been brokenness that's not totally been healed. And now you have a hypersensitivity or a weakness in that area uh, and being attacked. Anybody have your own fault line? So we sit there and think, where is the area where it's most sore, you know, in my world, in my mind, in my heart, in my soul? What area of woundedness that when people say this, I don't know why, I just lose it. And they can even be nice about it and not even be meaning anything negative. But whenever they say that one thing, I'm like, I just want to fight automatically. And it's, it's an out, uh, here's a, a phrase for you, an outsized reaction. That's how you can kind of identify your fault line. Everybody has one. Uh, you might have one uh, in the area of, of sexuality because where there has been abuse in the past or, or and, and abuse, we, we tend to make abuse its own like really crazy box. But the truth is abuse is simply this, ab, use. It means being used in a way that is not healthy or what it's intended for. So that kind of abuse, you're like, oh, okay. That's kind of more expansive. You know, they're, 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 you know be, being, being, using something you or somebody else in a way that's not intended for. So that's abuse, and that can lead to fault lines, right? Fidelity. Fidelity is faithfulness, right? Fidelity is covenant keeping. The definition of faithfulness to a person, to a cause, or belief demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support, Right? So being faithful, and now I'm going to jump into faithfulness in relationship, faithfulness in marriage, amen? And I could preach a message hyper-focused on lust, right? And covenant eyes, and what God's judgment is for sin, right? And that, that is like kind of my lean, you say, it is the lustful, I'm um, looking at things in, in, the, in the heart desire, the physicality um, to do and to engage in those things which are outside the bounds of marriage, outside the bounds of matrimony and holiness and godliness, right? So we know that, and that's not exactly how we're going to approach it today because there's a different part of the equation I think that we don't think about enough. 
We don't want to sin because God said not to. And we are afraid of punitive judgment from him, right? If we do a sin, you know, and then you know, we, and we're an unrepentant sinner. You know, all the sin has been covered by Jesus' blood. But we, if we live, you know, as a sinner in unrepentant sin, then the result of that is punitive, you know, and, and we live in, in eternity. You know, we die in eternity apart from God. So that's like kind of the punitive part of lust and infidelity. But there's also another version of this, which is that infidelity and sin, even with God not even lowering the hammer, is so destructive to our souls and to our happiness and our joy that it's unreal. And we don't really hyper-focus on that much, the pain and suffering that it inflicts on us without God really doing anything. Now, here's my uh, homemade example of that. Judah likes to watch his Bible shows hanging dangerously upside down from the back of the couch for some reason. Now, the reason why that comes to my mind is that I tell him not to, and if he doesn't listen, he's going to get fathered, right? But the reason why is not that he's making me mad or irritated or embarrassed. It's that I don't want the correction for that dumb act to be his head split. I would rather it be me in love than reality and coldness. Now, that's what we don't always remember about living a biblical life, is that it's not just about God with his cosmic hammer smacking you because you did a sin. It's also because everything in the Word of God, everything that he teaches, all the precepts and concepts that he teaches us are to save us from pain and suffering and destruction, right? So I would rather um, come in with a fatherly, loving, punitive you know, correction than the world teach him why he shouldn't. Now, let's talk about fidelity in the same terms, okay? Um, I, it's not just about what, well, it is just about what God says, but it's also about the reason why he said it. We're going to read a, a ton of scripture here. Somebody said amen. 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 I like that. Uh, the first is the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs um, in chapter 4. And now he, he gets hot and heavy, all right? So, um, but it's in the Bible, and I ain't scared. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep shorn, which have come up from the washing. Everyone which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hang a thousand bucklers and all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountains of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. He's laying on thick, isn't he, guys? This is a man in love rather infatuated, wouldn't you say? Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, and with me from Lebanon, look at the top of Amana, from the top of Sierra and Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse, not literal sister. You have ravished my heart. With one look of your eyes and one link from your necklace, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. 
How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices? Your lips, oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb and honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna and spikenard, calumnus, cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and the streams of Lebanon. It's a lot of game, right? Man, man is spitting a lot of game is what the youths might would call it. Um, it's, you know, it's making the effort of being romantic pursuit of someone that you love. You're, you're in a healthy way infatuated with. This is, you can tell uh, to, to, to the object, the, the one person that he is in love with, he is crazy about, he can't stop. He's being corny, right? You know what's real whenever you're being cheesy and he's just saying, your teeth are like, what's the whitest thing? Sheep. Your teeth are like sheep. And he's just going after it. Um, trying to impress her, trying to express the passion, the love that exists in his life. Now we go to Ecclesiastes 1. And I will change tone just as the writer did. Same guy, by the way. Ready? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything is empty, prideful pointlessness. What does man gain by all this toil which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and then around and around and around the wind goes. And on its circuits the wind returns and the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. And the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. Life is so pointless. Now, I really feel like the emotive tone has changed to I'm miserable, man. I hate everything. What's the point even of anything? What's the point of getting up? What's the point of going to bed? What's the point? It's all the same and everything stinks and I hate it. Good stuff, right? All things are full of weariness. I, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. There's nothing to look at. The ears not filled with hearing. What has been will be. And what has been and what has been done will be done again. And there's nothing new under the sun. There's no experiences to have. There's nothing fun. I am the richest guy in the world. I'm the wisest guy in the world. I have all the cedars of Lebanon. I have a thousand wives at this point, And I hate my life. It's miserable. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. The preacher, I, the preacher, have been the king over Israel and Jerusalem and applied my heart to seek and search out wisdom, all that is under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What's crooked cannot be made straight, and what's lacking cannot be counted. Um, that is the same guy. That is the same emotive heart. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what changed. I want to talk to you a little bit about the effects of life, truth, and fidelity. 
Um, this is wisdom poetry, and it's very intense. It's stirring. It's filled with romantic and poetic imagery. It's a powerful thing, right? Like, especially when he's excited about the good stuff. And honestly, David is also a songwriter, and that's kind of where, uh, where Solomon probably gets the gift from. David uh, has an anointing, and some of the psalms that he pens are the most powerful things that echo through the ages, and, he's, and they glorify God. You know, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the mountain of his holiness, encouraging and powerful stories and themes. And, and, and he emotes such worship and praise to God, the likes of which you cannot find anywhere else in the world. So powerful, right? David is powerful, but he's also hyper-emotional. Uh, as a songwriter, he had great range, right? And David, um, I, I submit humbly to you, David was at least partly a metalhead. Now, he's got a harp, but if you listen to the content of some of what he's writing, well, I'll just give you the verbiage, and then you kind of put the music to it, like, I hate those who hate you. Do you not know? You know, destroy them with an unholy and complete destruction, like they come against me. Like, will you not stand in the middle of the enemy and destroy them all completely with fire? <laughs> I'm like, ooh, he's getting after it. Like, he's like, he's like, and at one point he said, don't you know that I hate them that hate you? And it's very aggressive. So I don't, maybe you're falling out with me. I don't, it's, it's very aggressive, right? And it definitely has that energy to it, right? Now, it's not always like that. You know, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts, you know, glorious are you in all your ways. And these beautiful psalms, like that's more a little praise and worship action, right? That's a little more, um, you know, well, you know, not, screaming about death and blood and destruction, which he does both. So he's got range as a songwriter, I feel. But there's also a Southern gospel version of him because time after time you see him whine and complain about how awful it is, how terrible. You know, a, my enemies gather around me. You know, and they, they come against me and you know, they don't love me. They, they make their plans in secret and they rise up against me. And I'm like, this is so Southern gospel. Because at the very end, there is this, but you, O Lord, will glorify yourself in all my struggles and you will cause their problems to be cast down and come to naught. And so it's like this, this hook at the end, right? And I like it all. I, I like it all. Um, but he, he definitely wrote some Southern gospel stuff in here where it's you know, kind of negative. The world's against me. You know, like my, you know, I'm burning with a loathsome disease. And then, but you will save me and help me and strengthen me. And so there's like a happy you know, turn where the key change happens, right? You know, and the nice four-part harmony hits. Now, Solomon, how do I, what do we put him in? Because we've read some of his best work and most famous work. Now, so, and, and this is what I will submit to you. Um, if you're above 45 in the house, he is a crooner. And then he turns into something else. He turns into a miserable, sad country singer by the time it's done. Yeah, everything is sad. My dog left me, and you know, my, 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 my wife took my truck, and you know, it's just uh, everything is vanity. It's all pointless, and I'm miserable, and, and woe is everything. And, and that's what I'm, I'm literally talking about things that he said. He said, you know, the wind blows around and comes around again, and it won't go. Yeah, no one knows where it goes, and it's all pointless. Okay, so now I'm bringing the 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 verbiage and the emotiveness of Scripture to life for you. 
so that you understand where he's at. Now, what can change the passionate, you know, wide-eyed love and infatuation of the first, you know, whether he's a crooner or R&B guy, whatever he is, to the despondency, emptiness, and brokenness of the second. Satan, uh, let, let me just tell you the story real quick of what happened. Um, he couldn't be faithful to one woman. That, that is what happened. At the time of reading this passage of Scripture, um, in the first part, he has seen this, this beautiful woman, and she's, she's, she's active, she's healthy, she's, she loves him, she's nuts about him too. So they actually go back and forth, it's disgusting. Like, you know, they just love each other so much. Um, they're all about each other, and, and they're just writing letters, and they, there's nobody else in the whole world, and they're in love, and they're, they're in fidelity, and they're, they're, you are the only one that I think about, I can't stop thinking about you, you're, you're, you're my wife, you know, my spouse, you're my person, I'm just, yes, like I'm so fulfilled and complete in you. And then there came a day, maybe it was a hard day. Maybe it was a day where they just weren't getting along. Maybe it was a day where they just had some distance grow up between them, life happens. And then he decided to insert other things and to engage others in his life. You don't go from one to a thousand. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Solomon eventually will not just have one. He will have 700 wives, 300 wives and 700 concubines, a.k.a. same thing, right? That is how far this guy runs chasing the feeling that he felt in Song of Solomon. That's perversion. I don't care who you are. It's brokenness, and it is an insatiable appetite to recapture the love and the romance lost when he couldn't be faithful to one brokenness, broken guy. And so chasing that feeling, he goes all the way to a thousand and he just realizes a thousand one won't change anything either. And so he pins this tragic attitude and says, you know what? Nothing, nothing fills me. I'm sad. I'm broken. I am miserable. Everything is prideful and pointless and Everything is the same again and again. And the brokenness, I believe, in his heart is a yearning back to what he had when he had God's best. Amen? God's best for him. When God's best for us is not enough, then we end up with Satan's worst. Oh, yeah. See, because as he continues to pursue infidelity in this, and, and just, you know, will not be faithful to the one that he has, that God has given him. Um, he brings in these foreign women, worship, worshipers of Baal and Ashtaroth, bringing, opening up demonic doors in his life and in his kingdom and in his spirituality. And now he has distanced himself from God. His relationship with God is weaker and further and more cold and distant than it's ever been. His romance is dead in its tracks. Like he's, a, yeah, there's a lot of different people and he keeps on cycling through them like, you know, like, like the pervert that he's become really. Um, and he's chasing the feeling of what God had given him in the first place. The best parts of Solomon's writings are the story of a man passionately in love with one woman. She's beautiful. He cannot stop thinking about her in loving romantic terms. He is romantically fulfilled and a man in love, a man on fire. The kingdom is thriving. The 
the temple is being built. God is being glorified. And there's a fault line. Now, it's a fault line he learned from his father. This fault line that he learns from his father is something that David, in that very same place, in that same city, maybe even the same building, had looked upon a woman to lust after her named Bathsheba and brought trauma, death, destruction, and division and woundedness into the kingdom and into his own life. It's an unhealed fault line. You know, the worst parts of his writings are what he becomes in the jaded view of life and love that he has after he indulges in sexual infidelity and sin that would make even Hollywood playboys blush. He's no longer happy. Hear me. He's no longer happy because he's no longer holy. See, we have it all backwards. We think that by going outside and pursuing the things, the lust of the flesh, that the flesh, oh, the flesh is just, it's the type who, who gets you into all the trouble and disappears whenever it's time to pay the bill. That is the lust of the flesh, right? You know, pumping everybody up, you know, and then, and then you get arrested and then and where, where'd the flesh go? Oh, you know, it's hiding in the corner. Like, doesn't, it's you, right? He's no longer happy because he's no longer holy. Holiness in spite of what some people have taught, have preached, and have jaded views and misconstrued teachings on holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to wholesomeness and fulsome living. He's no longer committed to the one he loves and was crazy about, and instead of pursuing her, he pursues what he had with her to the ends of the earth and becomes completely disconnected from God in the process. His infidelity becomes a source of false and demonic influences through encounter after encounter, chasing what God had already given him, but he had rejected. In infidelity, like everything else, guess who suffers the most? The most vulnerable. The babies who are most vulnerable. And the children. And then women. And then finally men. Baal and Ashtaroth, I'll remind you of what that is the demonic, child-sacrificing wickedness that we see the resurgence in our very age today. Baal and Ashtaroth, who he brought in because of his infidelity, there was a probably almost 20-foot statue of Baal whose arms held at an angle like this. The inside was hollowed out and there burned a terrible, terrible fire. And they would place the children in the arms of that wicked, demonic statue. And they would roll into the fire, yet living. And as crazy as that is, what do you think happens following the choice on the other side of life? See, whenever these demonic and wicked things, they're, they're all, do you see how they're all interconnected? And that nobody feels the need to choose to end that life. Nobody feels the need to, to destroy that life whenever they're in a healthy, happy covenant marriage that never happens. 
it's met with joy, with receptivity, right? It's 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 awesome. It's it's and but outside of that, see what and it's all interconnected. Sin is interconnected. So the infidelity and wickedness and, and sexual immorality, the price to be paid is actually the blessing of children. But whenever we have not gone God's way and now we're just pursuing the flesh and not pursuing the good things of God, we're not building the life like He told us to. Now those children who are blessing and wonderful, they're they're viewed as an inconvenience and the opposite of what somebody would want. And so they end up being sacrificed on the same altar in a little bit different way. See, whenever God's best is not enough for us, we end up with Satan's worst. So now I'm going to just briefly, I'm going to circle back there and then we're going to end, uh, you know, much like my country song uh, imitation, hopefully on, on a better and more life-giving uh, ending. But I want to recap the story of Solomon because I, I don't know if you've ever heard it taught like that before. I'd never read it like that before. And I saw what it was that a man could choose to do or not do. I saw it so clearly in my study and prayer. And I said, wow, if you're married here today and you, and you have your spouse, love your spouse and understand this, no matter if it's on their best day or worst day, that is the fullness of your joy. And that what can be had whenever those relationships are repaired and are healthy is what you will spend a lifetime chasing in vain outside of them. And only brokenness, woundedness, and fault lines will occur. So if you're here and you're married, then hold your spouse today and love them and know that they are God's best for you. Today, as we navigate the fault lines of our lives, let us choose the path of fidelity, healing, and commitment to God's design. Pursuing God's best may be challenging at times, but the alternative, chasing fleeting desires and lust, only leads to deeper fault lines and a life left unfulfilled. And so, the choice is yours, to embrace the power of faithfulness or to risk the consequences of unhealed brokenness. The journey can be challenging, but the reward is eternal. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church Podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.